first edition of The Forgotten Women of Joseph Smith. This is based on a series that I did under the name Winter Buzz for the Feminist Mormon Housewives blog, and I am going to be repeating it here on the podcast. The reason for doing this is we have talked, the reason for doing this is I have talked to many, many people who have asked that we make this a series on the podcast, which is something that we've been wanting to do, but I wanted to get experts in the field to talk about each uh, woman or each relationship so as to, I guess, add credibility to the stories that I'm going to tell. Some of the stories are scandalous. Some of them are, I don't think any of them are boring. Some of them are very controversial. And so having experts um, who have devoted a lot of time and study will help. So the plan is this. I am going to go through this series, just basically the series that I wrote using uh, a lot of sources, and I'll talk about my sources in a minute. And we'll go through my series every Thursday. I will just post a short story based on the series that I did on the blog. So we will do that first. When that is done and we have completed that, then we will bring on a lot of experts, people that have written books. Um... Hopefully, Todd Compton, he told me he's not a podcast person, but maybe we can get him back on. He was very generous in letting me borrow a lot of his personal notes for the series I did online. I am going to bring on Don Bradley to talk about Fanny Alger. I'm going to bring on a lot of Mormon historians um, and hopefully a lot of people that know a lot about this stuff. The reason I am doing this and the reason I think a lot of people ask is polygamy is still an issue that plagues a lot of people in the Mormon church, especially women. We are not away from it. Despite what we like to think, it is still canonized in our scriptures in DNC 132. The church recently came out with an historical essay where they talk about polygamy and they didn't repudiate it uh, like they did with the blacks and the priesthood doctrine. They did say that it, at certain times it is something that we practice and only when it's authorized by the Lord. So it is still very much part of our doctrine. We still do multiple temple sealings. Uh, you have apostles like Dallin H. Oaks, who is married to more than one woman, woman and is very proud of that fact. So polygamy is very much um, a part of our history. And as far as the Brighamite church goes, the Brighamite church would be our tradition, the LDS tradition. It's still very much in a lot of our scripture and doctrine and temple ceremonies, whether it's um, obvious to us or not, because it really shaped and distinguished us as a people. So we're going to get through this series. I devoted three years of my life to studying about these women and to studying about Nauvoo polygamy. And kind of where I'm focusing my efforts now is in the Utah period polygamy. And I've made it up to post-manifesto. So hopefully the idea is to really bring listeners through the whole entire history of Mormon polygamy, if we can do that. And and hopefully that will be helpful. I have said before that I have struggled deeply, deeply, deeply with polygamy. In fact, I think it's what uh, started me going down the path to questioning and doubting. And I was in a lot of pain and a lot of time. And I think the only way through that pain is through it. You, The only way through it is through it. 
we have to study it deeply. I'm at peace with polygamy. Um, that doesn't mean that I believe it, that it's divine principle or that I should practice it. So those are where my biases lie. I don't think that um, it was something called of God. And I'll explain more in context later how I make that work. I do believe Joseph Smith was inspired, but not about this particular doctrine. Um, and and yet I can see as painful and as awful as it was, it did mark us as a people. It did add a cohesion for the LDS tradition, for better or worse. Uh, I'm certainly not a polygamist apologist, polygamy apologist, but I respect that consenting adults can do what they want. So I'm glad that it has been decriminalized in Utah. So we'll, we'll go on my personal opinions later, but I just want to get those biases up front so you can factor those in when, I, when we talk about these things. Polygamy is certainly not something that has been invented by the Mormons. It's been around for a long, long time. It's in the Bible. And there are several terms we're going to be using. There's polygyny, and that's when a man is married to more than one wife at a time. And when a woman is married to more married to more than one husband at a time, it's called polyandry. And that is also part of Nauvoo polygamy, so we're going to talk about that as well. If a marriage includes multiple husbands and wives, it can be called a group or conjoint marriage. Monogamy is this marriage system containing two people. So it's usually a man and a woman, or a man and a man, now in Utah, woohoo, or a woman and a woman. That's monogamy. It's a committed relationship between two people. So polygamy has a history, and I'd really like to get some experts on in in the future to talk about this. Uh, I've mentioned in one of my podcasts before, if you read about the Munster Rebellion in 1500s, there is an amazing story about the Munster Rebellion and the Anabaptists that really kind of, in a super, super violent way, mirrors the story of our early church beginnings, which is fascinating. They practiced polygamy, and they, they did it for religious, biblical purposes. So, I mean, there's polygamy has existed in one form or another throughout history in all different sorts of ways, and you, I guess you could make a good scriptural case for it. So it's not that, you know, Joseph Smith was pulling this out of his hat, pardon the pun, if you will. So, um, yeah, polygamy, it's a hard thing with Mormonism, so I hope you'll follow this series. I hope you'll leave feedback with this series. And now I'm going to talk about my sources really quick. So this this uh, series was done once a week over the course of 2011 to 2012. Now, there are speculations on Joseph Smith's wives, how many he had. There's anywhere from 31 to, uh, I think I saw a number of like 55. But uh, I think the one that the church has accepted, and I haven't read the updated information on that. It, it's around 33 or 34. The church has acknowledged that as well as credible historians that I trust. So we're going to go with that number. Um, like I said, there are other women that have been speculated to be wives. The reason why I say speculation is this was a very secret practice. Uh, it was a huge contributor to the mob violence and Joseph Smith's uh, personal safety. So it was very important that it was secretive. And even in the journals, it was code. They had a code in a certain language when talking about these things. So it's very difficult to talk about, uh, or to when you're looking at primary sources, to talk about who, to decide who was an actual official wife and who was not. And you have to remember that uh, Joseph had approached some women and they turned him down. And other women he he approached for what he would call a test. It was like an Abrahamic test, which is reminiscent of Abraham and Isaac in the scriptures. 
and he would go and ask someone for their wife or their daughter and let them think about it and agonize over it. And then he'd come back and say, okay, what's your answer? And they would tell him and he'd say, oh, good, you passed. It was just a test. I don't want your wife or daughter. So there are all kinds of weird other interpersonal dynamics. And it should be known that Joseph was really concerned with uh, the eternal sort of connections with people. Joseph had a lot of deaths in his family. He was really disturbed by the deaths in his own family by his brother dying at a young age. And then he lost a lot of children. He, uh, his twins died. And he saw, he saw Emma <laughs> agonize over the birth of birth and deaths of many of their children. And people around him were dying a lot. Uh, the King Follett discourses come from a funeral text. And, and there are just a lot of deaths going on. So Joseph almost had this obsession with... Um, connecting people eternally. And in the frontier, when somebody would leave, when they would go west or go anywhere, there was a good chance you wouldn't see him again. I mean, this was an age without cell phones, without emails. So correspondence was slow. And sometimes when someone would leave, they would leave for good. So you have to understand that the sealing practices were something that united people and it gave them great comfort. Joseph didn't just seal himself to many women. He sealed himself to many men. And this is called the law of adoption. And hopefully we can bring on experts in the future to talk about the law of adoption. So the sources that I pulled from are various. I tried to pull from as many, I guess, primary sources as possible. Primary would be directly from the person. Uh, we, we don't have any, hardly any primary sources at all from Joseph Smith himself writing about uh, women for various reasons. And that is why where you get the uh, arguments that Joseph never practice polygamy. And I have to say that those arguments, unfortunately, are discredited by almost every professional historian that I know. I don't know of anyone that accepts those. Um, I think there are some that, that would like to believe that Joseph didn't have sexual relations with his polygamous wives. There, that is still a debate that is happening, which kind of defeats the, the purpose of polygamy in that sense, because Joseph could just seal himself to their spouse if he wasn't interested in an actual sort of uh, familiar relationship. That's my take on it. If you want to read a different take, you can read Brian Hale's book on polygamy. So so yeah, I, I mainly pulled from Todd Compton, who wrote the book In Sacred Loneliness, which I hope you will all get and read along with us. If you can order In Sacred Loneliness, you can follow. We're going to go basically chapter by chapter. And Todd like I said, is a fantastic historian. He just won the Mormon History Associations. Um, he won an award this year for a book that he's been working on. He is a fantastic historian. I go through diaries of William Clayton, who was Joseph's personal secretary and kept a lot of diaries. It's a very close friend of his. We have um, Emma's writings. We have friends of Emma's. We have the wives themselves who spoken affidavits. Now, a lot of these reports were given later on. There's this conflict that will come up upon later on that talks about what is called the Temple Lock case. And this had to do with a lot of property involving two of Joseph Smith's wives. And the the RLDS, the Restore, Restorationist Movement that stayed with Emma, um, kind of were fighting uh, the Brighamites section later on after Joseph had passed away for for some land and so they they had sort of some trials in the you know later on after like you know anywhere from 
20 to 60 years on, we have affidavits of, of women testifying about polygamy. And, and so we'll get into all of that. Uh, the Joseph Smith papers is starting to work on this period of Joseph's life. It's a, it's a big period. So that's going to be a lot. You can see some primary sources there. Polygamy is written sort of in code in the Relief Society minutes that are also published online. Um, I'm getting some sources from Joseph Smith's polygamy.com. I'm getting some even from uh, Fair LDS. I'm getting some from family history sites, just everywhere, everywhere I can think. Um, if you want to look at where I've sourced particular things, you can go to my to my series online, which I will link to the podcast. So not every single podcast is going to have this big, long disclaimer at the front. But I thought I would give it to you so we could know where we're at. And again, you know my biases now. I think every historian is biased. I am not a professional historian. And professional historians um, these days try to be a lot more scientific. So they try as best they can to um, either state their bias up front or just do as scientific history as possible. So now you know where my biases are. I'm going to go with Joseph's first wife. Well, his first plural wife. If you want to know about his first wife, Emma Smith, we did a series with John Hamer, the Community of Christ Historian, and you can link to that or look that up, Emma Smith. There's a two-part series talking about her life. Fanny Alger. Now, I've heard her name pronounced two ways, Fanny Alger and Fanny Alger. I'm just going to pronounce it Fanny Alger. So if that offends some of you historians who disagree with that pronunciation, I'm sorry. Okay, George G. Smith wrote in Nauvoo Polygamy, which is a book that is highly contested by some historians, quote, Joseph's own retrospective writings began in 1832, the same year he became head of the church in Kirtland. Yet that same year, he had famously become involved with a 16-year-old carpenter's daughter named Fanny Alger. So today we're going to remember Fanny Frances Alger, the alleged first plural wife of Joseph Smith. She is by far the most controversial of all the wives of her age, status, and sequence in our LDS history. There is an endless battle whether the relationship with the prophet was spiritual or adulterous. There seems to be evidence for both. I'll let you make up your own minds. Remember, if you're uncomfortable with this history, pass on this podcast. Or you can just go to the to the post and look at the pictures where her obituary is listed. And you can remember her, not as a polygamous wife or an adulterous mistress. Although this information might be hard to take, remembering these women is very important because they had a voice and an influence and a place in our Mormon history. And I've often resented that they've been erased out of it because they were part of such a controversial history. Let's honor them by remembering them and sharing the scraps of history we have to remember them by. Clench your jaw, make sure you're sitting down, and listen to the following and we'll get through this together. It really will be okay. Fanny Custer Alger was born September 30, 1816, in Rehoboth, Bristol County, Massachusetts. She is listed in three censuses, and her birth is also listed as New York and Ohio. And there's some controversy on when she married Joseph. Was she 16? Was she 19? Was she 17? Was she 15? Not only is known of Fanny, except that she was a daughter of Samuel Alger, a carpenter, and Clarissa Hancock Alger. Benjamin Johnson, a close friend of Joseph Smith, described Fanny as, quote, very nice and comely, to whom everyone seemed partial for the amiability of her character. Fanny's parents were some of the earliest converts to the church and were baptized in 1830. 
Samuel became friends with Joseph Smith and was said to have a hand in the arrangement of the marriage, along with Fanny's uncle Levi Hancock. Evidence suggests that Fanny began working in the Smith home as a helper to Emma and as an adoptive daughter at about age 15. This would have been around 1832 to 1833, and this is very common. Um, a lot of times you would send your daughter to go work in someone's home to get extra income, um, especially in a big home like Emma Smith where she was having constant company, people going in and out. And Emma would do this throughout the rest of her life. She would have people come and work for her. So we have Fanny Alger in the home of the Smiths. Anna Eliza Webb uh, recalls, quote, Mrs. Smith had an adopted daughter, a very pretty, pleasing young girl, about 17 years old. She was extremely fond of her. No mother could be more devoted, and their affection for each other was a constant object of remark, so absorbing and genuine did it seem. So Anna recalls her as being 17. I, I don't think that that uh, age is exactly accurate. But she does talk about that, you know, Emma was really devoted to this girl. She So much so that that in this um, reference they call her the adopted daughter of, of Emma Smith, although she was not officially legally adopted. Current evidence supports that the relationship between uh, Joseph and Fanny was first divulged no earlier than 1836. Now, these dates are important because they're part of a controversy. Now, remember, the Doctrine and Covenants, DNC 132, the actual Doctrine of Plural Marriage, didn't come out until many years later. So we have kind of a controversy. If you go to LDS.org, they are now saying that the prophet knew about this as early as 1831. This is where the contra controversy is because uh, section 132 was recorded in 1843. And if you look at the heading in Doctrine and Covenants, section 132, it says, quote, Revelation given through Joseph Smith, the prophet in Nauvoo, Illinois, recorded July 12th, 1843, to the New and Everlasting Covenant, including the Attorney of Marriage Covenant and the Principle of Plural Marriage. Although the revelation was recorded in 1843, evidence indicates that some of the principles involved in this revelation were known by the prophet as early as 1831. See official declaration one. So there's a reason why they say this because uh, there is, they say that there's evidence. There's, in my opinion, there is very little evidence to suggest that, that the revelation actually came about. Although if you believe in polygamy and you believe Joseph was inspired, inspired to practice plural marriage, then um, there's a good case to be made in your faith that Joseph knew about this in 1831 because this is when he would have been marrying his first plural wife before the revelation was printed. Okay, so um, in 1836, uh, Eliza R. Snow had declared that she was living... Eliza Snow recalls later on that she was living with the Smith family at the time a, quote, fuss with Fanny occurred. Eliza didn't move into their house until the spring of 1836. So if the fuss occurred then, um, this is when the knowledge of it was starting to come out. And we have other sources that knew that there was some sort of um, incident. So I'm going to read you kind of the scandalous parts of it. And you have to know that all of these sources also are based in gossip, community gossip, um, their own personal biases, but we do know enough to believe that something something happens um, because, you know, in, unless you don't consider Eliza R. Snow or people like her as a credible source. Okay, so uh, I think it's Mosiah Hancock left an account that his father, Levi, was asked to whisk family away 
Fanny away from gathering apostates in the summer of 1836. Contemporary records show that months later in September, the Alger family, including family, left Kirtland for Missouri. So whatever happened by the end of 1836, Fanny left with her family out of Kirtland. One Kirtland visitor recalled the state recalled that the relationship created, quote, excitement in 1837, and complaints regarding Joseph's relationship with Fanny were first mentioned in contemporary documents in 1838. So we have, you know, this Fanny living with, her her parents were baptized in 1830. She would have been living with Joseph in somewhere between 1832 and 83. She leaves by 836. People are talking about it and writing about it by 38. Although undocumented, um, officially, like there's no obvious legal law or anything like that. Um, the marriage of Fanny and Joseph most likely took place in Kirtland, Ohio in 1833. She would have been a, 16 years old. Joseph kept his marriage to Fanny very secret, including and especially from his wife, Emma. Chauncey Webb recounts Emma's later discovery of the relationship. This is quite scandalous, says, quote, Emma was furious and drove the girl who was unable to conceal the consequence of her celestial relation with the prophet out of her house. Anna Eliza again recalls, quote, Consequently, it was with a shocked surprise that people heard that Sister Emma had turned Fanny out of the house in the night. It was felt that she, Emma, certainly must have had some very good reason for her action. By degrees, it became whispered about that Joseph's love for his adopted daughter was by no means a paternal affection, and his wife, discovering the fact, at once took measures to place the girl beyond his reach. Since Emma refused decidedly to allow her to remain in the house, my mother offered to take her until she could be sent to her relatives. So again, this is referring to this excitement or this fuss. Emma had found out about it, was upset, kicks her out of the house. This young girl feels very betrayed. And you can hear more about this actual incident when we talk about the life of Emma Smith. I believe it's also written in Mormon Enigma, which is a book that you should check out. This is probably one of the most scandalous parts of Joseph's early relationship with Emma, in my opinion. I mean, the, the two went through so much together you know, mob, persecution, the hatred of her own family, the resentment of her own family with Joseph, the the rearing of their children, the death of many of their children, um, moving, constant moving, constant rumors about Joseph Smith any, anyway with women, and then, you know, this actual thing happening in her own home. Several witnesses and secondhand accounts have Emma finding the two in a compromising position and throwing her out in the middle of the night. Uh, this is <laughs> this is one of my favorite quotes. Although you should know that William William McClellan is uh, considered, I guess, an antagonistic sort uh, source by some, not by not by all historians, but by some because he was later excommunicated for other reasons. So um, he was an apostle that was excommunicated for. That's that's a whole other story. But anyway, he wrote in 1872, quote, Again, I told her, Emma, I heard that one night she'd missed Joseph and Fanny Alger. She went to the barn and saw him and Fanny in the barn together alone. She looked through a crack and saw the transaction. She told me this story was verily true. Now, the reason why McClellan was telling this to Joseph Smith, the third is later on with all these disputes of land and doctrine and legal battles, Joseph Smith III, which was Joseph Smith Jr.'s son and Emma's son, uh, was really trying to learn about the truth about his father, and he went to Utah several times to 
interview people to find out if his father was a polygamist because, of course, later on Emma denied it. And so this is McClellan trying to convince Joseph Smith the third that his father was indeed a practicing polygamist. Um, quote, she, Emma Smith, discovered that Joseph had been celestializing with this maiden. I love that quote, celestializing with this maiden. It's a great euphemism. Fanny, who acknowledged the truth, but Joseph denied it in toto and stigmatized the statement as a girl as a base fabrication. Emma, of course, believed the girl as she was very well aware that no conf- confidence could be placed in her husband and she became terrible worked up about it. She was like a mad woman and acted so violently that Oliver Cowdery and some of the elders were called in, the, called in to minister her and to cast the devil out of Sister Emma. As a side note to the quote above, LDS apologists claim that the information that came from the McClellan letters, like the story in the barn, are unreliable because McClellan himself was questionable. Following his ex, this is a quote from them. Following his excommunication, McClellan played an active role in mobbing and robbing the saints. Joseph was taken to Liberty Jail, and Emma returned home to find that she had been robbed of everything. A contemporary journal records that McClellan went to into brother joseph's house and commenced searching over his things and took all of his jewelry and joseph's box and took a lot of his clothes and in fact plundered the house and took the things off when emma asked mcclellan why he had done this mcclellan replied because i can this theft affected emma profoundly she had received word that joseph was suffering greatly from the cold in liberty jail and he asked her to bring quilts and bedding sister emma cried and said that they had taken all of her bedclothes except one quilt and blanket and what could she do emma sought legal redress but recovered nothing so it's kind of the apologist's take on the particular quote about celestializing with a maiden so um regardless of if whether emma actually saw them you know uh in the barn celestializing or not um i guess that's that's something that We'll never know. But we do know something happened enough to upset Emma to kick Fanny out. Okay, back to the story. Book of Mormon witness Oliver Cowdery felt the relationship was something other than a marriage, and he is famously referred to as calling the relationship, quote, a dirty, nasty, filthy affair. So that came from Oliver Cowdery. He was not happy, a dirty, nasty, filthy affair. The scandal spread throughout the saints, shaking the face faith of those who had sacrificed their lives for the restored gospel to calm rumors regarding fanny's relationship with joseph the church quickly adopted what they called the chapter of rules of uh, for marriage among the saints which declared quote inasmuch as this church of christ has been reproached with polygamy we declare that we believe them that one man should have one wife this quote article on marriage was canonized and published in the doctrine and covenants in 1852, the doctrine of polygamy was publicly announced. So, so this was in the 1830s. By 1852, it, polygamy, the doctrine of it, was finally publicly announced and ended the 18 years of secret practice. So this article of marriage remained in the Doctrine and Covenants for a long time, but eventually became obsolete, and they later removed it. So we no longer have the article of marriage in the Doctrine and Covenants, but you can find it in the early, early uh papers and and editions. Okay, so after being thrown out of the Smith's house, Fanny stayed with relatives in nearby Mayfield until about the time Joseph fled Kirtland for for Missouri. Benjamin Johnson remembers, quote, Soon after the prophet's flight in the winter of 37, the Alger family left to the west and stopped in Indiana for a time. Soon Fanny married to one of the citizens of there, and although she never left the state, she did not turn from the church nor from her friendship for the prophet while she lived. 
And I can now see that as at Nauvoo, so at Kirtland, that the suspicion of the knowledge of the prophet's plural relations was one of the causes of apostasy and disruption at Kirtland, although at the time there was little said publicly upon the subject. It is said that after the scandal broke, Fanny moved out of the Smith home. She wished to distance herself from the whole affair. And you can imagine how traumatic that would have been to her as well. On November 16th, 1836, she married Solomon Custer in Dublin, Wayne County, quote, at the old tavern stand that used to occupy the site at the late Benjamin Cruel's residence in the east part of town. With Solomon, she eventually had nine children. Benjamin Johnson also reported, quote, Fanny A., when asked by her brother and others, even after the prophet's death regarding the relation to him, replied, that is all a matter of my own, and I have nothing to communicate. So she was fam- famously quiet on the subject, as far as we know. Um, and again, I haven't checked the recent research to see if there's anything uncovered, but I don't think that there have been any documents where she has talked about it later on. She kind of disappears from the historical record of the Mormon Church, only to have a number of stories about her relationship arise uh, with Smith arise during the late 19th century. As Richard Bushman has noted, Smith, quote, never denied a relationship with Alger, but insisted it was not adulterous. He wanted it on record that he had never confessed to such a sin. The best statement Smith was able to wring from Cowdery was his affirmation that Smith had never acknowledged himself to have been guilty of adultery. That, wrote Bushman, was all Joseph wanted, an admission that he had not termed the Alger affair adulterous. Because remember, you've got Oliver Cowdery that said that it was before adultery. So he wanted Cowdery to acknowledge that it wasn't adultery. In April 1838, Mormon leaders meeting at the Far West High Council excommunicated Cowdery in part because he had, quote, seemed to insinuate that Smith was guilty of adultery. Now remember, this was still a secret thing, even in 1838, and to even mention it out loud was to defame uh to defame Joseph's character. And so a lot of people did not know about it, including some of the women that would eventually marry Joseph. And uh, there would start this whole double speak, this whole way that Joseph would speak to one wife and then um, that he was married to and then speak to Emma. So it was kind of this double language um, to explain the doctrine. Joseph Smith later personally discussed this as a benefit of earthly polygamy, he explained in D&C 132.63. For they, the plural wives, are given unto him to multiply and replenish the earth for their exaltation in the eternal worlds that they may be, bear the souls of men. I found a nice tribute to Fanny that seems to leave out her whole time in the Mormon church, but instead celebrates her as a mother and wife. The following obituary, obituary was found in the ad- Adolphus Barnes Family Bible, also known as the Stephen Barnes Family Bible. Um, And I hope you can forgive me because the spelling and punctuation are a little tricky. Fanny W. Custer, wife of the late Solomon Custer, was born in northern Ohio near Cleveland on September 30th, 1817, and passed from this life at her son's home in Indianapolis on the evening of November 29th at the age of 72 years, one month, and 29 days. Aunt Fanny and all her longtime friends and acquaintances of Dublin called her, was one of the earliest settlers of this locality, having come to Dublin, then a scattering hamlet with a hut here and there that spoke of the advance of civilization when this part of the country was looked upon as but the borders of the great wilderness to the westward, when the forests that abounded 
on every side were as nature formed, and through whose inaccessible depths roamed the Indian and the bear, and which were at this time being gradually but surely pressing towards the setting sun by that toward tide of civilization that had at last covered the vast ter territory lying between the two oceans, lakes, and gulf. The deceased was united in holy wedlock to Solomon Franklin Custer in this place at the old tavern stand that used to occupy the site of the late Benjamin Cruel's residence in the east part of town on November 16, 1838. As a result of this union, she has born to her she had borne to her nine children, two of whom survive her. With the exception of a very short period at two different times, Aunt Fanny had made Dublin her home since her very first coming to the settlement. Then just forming away back into the 20s, she was gener generally loved by all who knew her and was noted for her benevolence of spirit and generous-heartedness, generous being known as one who would share her last crust with whos whosoever should need it. Despite uh, Mormon reports to the contrary, Continuing from the Bibles, she, quote, She joined the Universalist Church on the evening of the 10th of October, 1874, and until her last held to that belief, she passed away peacefully and resignedly with an abiding faith in the justice and love of an all-powerful and supreme being and with joy in the full belief that she would meet with her dear ones gone before. Having fulfilled the duties of this life with a conscientious regard for the welfare and happiness of those who were compelled to Lean on her in the middle and early life, she passed away fully trusting that the welcome applauded summons, quote, Well done, thou good and faithful servant, enter thou into the joy of the Lord, would greet her on the other side. Funeral services were held at the Univers Universalist Church in Dublin on Sabbath morning, December 1st, 1889, by the Reverend P.S. Cook and C.T. Swain officiating. And that's how I'm choosing to end this. So... Um, if you want to read more in, about the in-depth life of Fanny, Todd Compton has some great stuff that I have not included here because I think you need to follow along in that book. So go ahead and read In Sacred Loneliness to learn more about Fanny. And like I said, at the end of this series, I'm going to bring on Don Bradley to talk about Fanny Alger. So if you have any questions or comments, leave them in the comment section at feministmormonhousewivespodcast.org. And thank you for listening. <laughs>